Hey everybody, Adam Stott here. Thanks for checking out my podcast, Business Growth Secrets. You're absolutely in the right place. This podcast is going to reveal to you all of the secrets that you've been looking to discover that are going to allow you to cure your cash flow problems, attain more clients, bring in more leads for your business, and create systems and processes that give you the growth that you want. You are going to discover the business growth secrets you have been looking for that I've used to sell over 50 million pounds worth of products and services on social media and help clients everywhere to grow their businesses on the mark. So let's get started on the Business Growth Secrets podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Business Growth Secrets. I've got a super, super special guest today that I'm really, really excited to be talking to, somebody that has a truly inspirational story, uh, so much so that there's being a, a movie commissioned about his life, which I'm really excited to hear about later on today. I am welcoming to the podcast today, Business Growth Secrets, the one and only Levi Roots. Welcome, Levi. How are you doing? You good? Adam, I'm brilliant. I'm absolutely fantastic. And I feel really top of the day. Brilliant. And and look, the, your your story, there's so so much and um here, and there's so much inspiration that I'm really, really looking forward to getting into it. And, and obviously very well known for Dragon's Den, for Reggae Reggae Source, for the massive success that you created there. But there's a huge backstory into in, into your life and the things that you've been through, which I think are really incredible and, and the audience uh, really should know. And I think it will inspire many, many people. So where did it all start for you, Levi? What was before all of this success came and this brand that you've built came? Where did we kind of start from and, and what was getting into business in the early days like for you and starting off? What were the challenges? How did we get going? Yeah, I've got to go way back if you're going to the start. I think when you think about, you know, who I am today and what I've become, it obviously starts when I was a kid back in Jamaica, the youngest of six. Uh, my parents were coming over those days to the, to the UK just after the 1948 Windrush ship that was bringing people from the Caribbean to come to, to fix the country here after the World War in 1948. My parents was one of those. And the plan, as many people in the Caribbean, was then to come to the UK, work hard, three, four jobs, you know, in one time, and then to send for the kids one at a time to educate them. And then the plan was for the parents to go back to Jamaica once they've done their job, you know, work in the NHS, sort the country out, bring the kids over, educate them, and then they would go back and have a nice time. And it was always with the scenario of it was the youngest that was the last to come over. Because obviously, yeah, yeah I think that the skill in those days, the plan was for the older kids to come to get the education, to move on, to get a job, and then be able to help the parents again. So that was the scenario. So the young ones was never ones to come first. And there'd be a crap in the way type of thing for my mom to be working, which she did three jobs. You know, she my dad worked three or four jobs to be able to buy a house and send for the kids in, in those days, in the 60s, 50s and 60s. So, yeah, so it was the plan to send for me last. So I stayed with my grandma. She was a fantastic cook in, in Clarendon in Jamaica, where I, where I was born. She she was perhaps the most well-known person that cooks a decent meal. Um, fantastic cook within, within my little village. And she would teach me everything about food and cooking and everything. I was, I was four when my parents left, so I didn't have a connection with my mom and dad or with my brothers and sisters because I was very young, struggling. Everybody thought that I was 
yeah, nothing would become of me. And and um and I just learned a lot from my grandma about food. She she was a great sauce maker. She could make great relishes and and you know nice up a pot of vegetables with just the sauce that she would make and put it on it, and you'd be feeling like you'd be having a three course meals with steak and everything. When really it was just vegetables because we were very poor, we couldn't afford steaks and meats and that. So she made sauces to be able to to copy that, and she taught me everything that I needed to know. That by the time I came to the UK, I was eleven. Um, but what I had was her teaching, and I couldn't read or write or even spell my first name, having not gone to school. Um, but I could cook every Caribbean meal, no matter these great big meals in a jerk chicken, rice and peas, curry goat, all of these things I could cook from I was like eight or nine. Um, mm-hmm. she, was, she was that much of a great teacher. And I, I suppose it was that that kind of drove me on. Because um, obviously coming to the UK without being schooled and facing everything included racism and everything like that as a young kid from the Caribbean would never experience this type of stuff. So it's pretty difficult to be able to, to find myself eventually. So I got, a lot in, got into trouble a lot because I wanted to be cool. I, I wasn't learning in school because I was this kid that just wanted to be loved and wanted to be liked. So hence being in the wrong company and spiral down in, into trouble. So got into trouble a lot. I, I think my mom spotted that I needed another guardian, like my grandma was very close to me and be able to, to tap into, in, in, you know, into who I am as a, as a young child. And my mom be, began that work, trying to work on me and trying to help me to, to, to indoctrinate me within the country. And because and, I miss Jamaica a lot. I really miss my grandma because she was mom, dad, the cat and the dog and everything to me because yeah. um, I spent a lot of time with it. So I struggled a lot, Adam. And eventually found myself when I started to cook. You know, my mom gave me the free to start to cook in the house. Uh, many years later, I was introduced to the Nottingham Carnival. Um, and I, I had a stall at the carnival when I was quite young. I was in my teens. Um, and I started the cooking there. I, I, I saw that everybody had stalls and had names, quirky names, and I wanted to give my stall a really good name. So I thought of the, the restaurant, you know, that was what we had first <laughs> done, the restaurant. Everybody else was using Caribbean restaurants and blah, blah, blah. So I just thought that because I was now becoming a Rasta man, you know, started to, to twist yeah. my ear up and become a dreadlock. So I just thought that the restaurant would be a nice word. And it was the making of our store. You know, every year people would come back religiously, you know, thousands of people to, to see me sing and cook and play and sing food songs and, and that sort of stuff. And, um, and it was that concept that I realized that people wanted the sauce. People wanted Caribbean food, not necessarily Caribbean people, mainstream people, because they are the main people that comes to carnival is people mm-hmm. from all over the world. And I, I realized that they wanted Caribbean flavors. And then it was like that ping moment in my head for me that, yeah, I may not be good at much other things, but I'm bloody good at cooking and making sauces. So I thought that that's going to be the business for me. So I went straight into the into the sauce business. Well, I love the fact you called it restaurant. You know, you realize that brand. How much do you think that impacted the results? The fact that the, the name, the brand name, do you think it was massive for it? Absolutely. It was a learning ground for me because I then understood what branding was about from in that early days that people wasn't buying products, you know, no matter how, you know, other stores were looking fabulous and had all the monies for their store to looking like, you know, the bloody tardis or yeah. something like that. If I step inside and you're in, you're in the Caribbean in some, in some stores. But I realized that all you need is really is a good brand. I never had the money to do all this kind of stuff with a great store. As a matter of fact, my store was pretty much average 
you know, things were falling apart and all that kind of stuff. But <laughs> it, it was the branding of the name that gave, you know, mainstream people that were coming to Carnival something else to hang their hat on. That it was called a restaurant. Why is it called a restaurant? There's the guy singing, singing food songs with a guitar with his kids and his family and stuff. So for them, yeah. it was something really new and they took on to the restaurant. It was amazing. Absolutely. I love, amazing. I love the implementation of the music with it, right? As you know, building, bringing that culture and really bringing that. And, and I don't know that many people really know that you're maybe they do, but you've got a big musical background, right? In the in 1996, I think we were talking earlier, and I think that was uh, really inspirational. You said you were at a moment where you were struggling in, in yeah. your life, and you yeah. had a good opportunity that you created, right? So let's hear a little bit about that because I think that's awesome. Yeah, as I, as I said, you know, there's that struggle about the you know, the times when you are. When you're at your worst, you know, which I was for a long time, got into a lot of trouble. And it was, you know, that spiraling down that I talked about, you go sudden until you hit rock bottom, you know, and I hit rock bottom in 1986 when I had a really long sentence um, for lots of different stupid things that I used to do as a young kid in Brixton. And um, and that was the wake up point for me. I, I, I was inside. Um, I never used to listen to anybody because I, I had a lot of problems in my head fighting against the world and not wanting to be here, wanting to be back in Jamaica with, you know, with mm. my grandma. Um, so I rebelled and, and it was a, a sort of teacher that was in the prison. Her name was Teresa. She was a kind of a drama teacher that sort of used drama to help prisoners to sort of prepare themselves for when they release. And we became really good friends. She became my first mentor, you know, that actually changed my life from the person that went in, you know, that was stupid and did all those bad things mm. to a new person. She she taught me who I am now to be become the best of me. It was a, a two and a half years um, closeness of her writing to me, even when she wasn't in the prison. She took pretty much care because I think she she noticed some kind of talent because I had a band in the prison. I was touring in the prison, going into other prisons. And I had a great relationship with, with, the, with the prison governor that was allowing me to take my jailhouse rock band and tour it in other prisons and do all this kind of, I was writing the prison magazine and doing all kinds of different things. And I think Teresa kind of saw something special there and she decided to mold that and to, to turn me into the person who I am. So I came out from my sentence and I was ready to take on the world. I, I was given the tools by Teresa in my head of how to change to become the best of you. Mm. And um, and that's what I came out. I went I went to see my mom when I came out to try to, to get a loan from her to start my business. And she said to me, oh, you know, go and see the man down the road and get some inspiration. I'm thinking, man, what are you talking about? Go and see the man. What bloody man? You have to let me go and see. She says, Mandela is down the road. Go and see him. Maybe you'll get some inspiration and 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 turn your life around. So I joined the crowd, you know, um, outside of my my mom's house that was going to see Mandela. Hundreds of people, thousands in Brixton to see Mandela and Prince Charles. And I I got down to the town hall where they were where he was doing a speech. And I was spotted in the crowd by one of the security guard to come up and sing "Happy Birthday, Mr. President." To who I thought in that time was perhaps the greatest human being ever, you know, Nelson Mandela, you know, you know, he, mm. he floated like he, he didn't even walk. To me, it's like he floated on here, you know, <laughs> this man that had the respect of, of everyone. And I'm I'm standing at the bottom of the staircase while he's coming down with Prince Charles, and I'm there holding a birthday cake, singing "Happy Birthday, Mr. President," a bit like Marilyn Monroe 
singing Happy Birthday, Mr. President. <laughs> it was really an inspirational time. And Mandela came down, took the cake, shook my hand. And it was, the, it was that light bulb moment that now I, I knew what I wanted to do. I knew that this tool that Teresa had given me, this new person that I, I am now, um, had a purpose now to be able to go out there and prove to the world that I'm not the kind of waste man you know, that I was in my early life. I am this new me and the best of me. And, and that handshake from Mandela, you know, felt like it was saying, he was passing his energy, you know, to me. And I just went on from there and thinking that I'm going to do my grandmother's sauce. I'm going to cook like my grandma, you know, and I'm going to base this around music. I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to put music and food together and, and merge. just like oh, my grandma, she was a fantastic singer. She was always singing when she was cooking. And I, that inspired me to, to put my love of music and food together and wrote the song, Reggae Reggae Sauce song. So I can consolidate that about what my grandma and tell the story within the song and decided to go and tour, you know, with it uh, um, in the Shires. Um, as I like to say, it was a moment that we 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 failed with our first batch of sauces. I, I wrongly thought that I had a market for it, you know, because I lived in a Caribbean area. We we did four thousand bottles of sauces and thought that great, we're gonna sell all of it because everybody like lives here. Or Caribbean people they love sauces, and we you know had them. It failed badly. Um, nobody brought it. People were saying that, you know, they can make their own sources. They're all Caribbean, you know, they're not going to buy mines. And it was a big shock. It was the first letdown for me. But we thought that nobody has a right to a market, you know, and that's another message for your listeners out there. You know, yeah. you've got to go out and find your market. It didn't mean that the sauce was bad. Or it didn't mean that I was a bad salesman because people didn't buy it in my locality. It's just that it was the wrong market for me. So we decided to go out and find the market, you know, not to change the sauce, not to change me but to mm. go out and find the market. So we decided to go anywhere that had Shire at the end of it, you know, because we we thought that there is no black man in a Rastaman three foot long dreadlocks and a guitar in the Shires, you know, doing mm. food. <laughs> so for a few years, you know, every lovely country market in the Shires, in you know, in this lovely countryside, English countryside that would have these farmers markets and these lovely Saturday markets, I would turn up, you know, and these places drive sometimes two, three hours to get to North Yorkshire in a lovely village somewhere and selling my sauces, singing the song. And it was an amazing success. It was absolutely, and it gave me the inspiration to continue doing it. And I think that's a really, really good message. Like you said, there's so many things that you said there. Uh, one thing that you said, going back slightly, is you said that Teresa gave you the tools in your head. And I think that a lot of people don't actually realize how important that is because success first being created in the mind. And you really recognize that, that you've got those tools in your head and that was the belief, right? And she yeah. helped you with belief. And then you were able to take that belief and that helps you to take a lot more action, which I think is really amazing. And then we yeah. even had the letdown being able to pivot and say, hey, I need to take this to a market that hasn't seen something like this before. And actually go and deliver them something new, something fresh. And, and, and I think it is amazing. And like you said, you, you went and discovered that market, um, which I think was was awesome. Awesome lessons there for, for the listeners, for sure. In in You then went on to do the MOBOs, right? So how did that, how did that come around? What actually happened, yeah. happened there? 
Yeah, well, I, I when, while I was inside, while I was serving a center, my mom had brought me a guitar. You know, again, she knew how much I, I, I was inspired by music and she was trying to help in every way. Um, she knew I had the time. I don't know how she did it, but I can't ever, I can't remember in those when I was inside that anybody else had a guitar in their cell. She talked to the prison governor and, and allowed me to have a guitar in there. She brought the guitar and she brought the Beatles book of songs because I couldn't play at the time. She brought the Beatles book of songs that just showed you where to put your fingers on the on the fret of the guitar, and just thought that she hoped that I would taught, teach myself to, to play. And the first song that I wrote was a song called "Free Your Mind," and it was about myself saying how Teresa had taught me to free up, you know, the stuff in my head that used to hold me back, um, and put a new me in, inside. And and that was the cursor for the song. And it was that song when I came out it, and, and I, I wrote an album, an old album while I was learning to play. I came out and I recorded the album and it was fantastic that it, I got nominated for a Mobile Awards, which, as you know, Mobile Awards is, is, is nominated by the fans. It's, it's not a record company telling you that, oh, you're great um, because you're selling yeah. lots of them. It's fans that actually says that we like you because, you know, you inspire us with your music. So it was a fantastic thing, to, you know, to, to, to get that um, that nomination for Mobile. But it still wasn't enough because the music wasn't really giving me money. Um, yeah. You know, it, it was it was giving me a lot of praise, but no raise. Absolutely. And I and I recognize that. And and that's again one of the difficult things to do is when you're when you're working with something that inspires you, it's difficult to come out of it, especially something like music. Mm. And and for me, I think one of the best things that I ever did is when I actually admitted that I wasn't good enough to get on the top of the pops with my music, that that type of music weren't going to actually bring me to where I, I really wanted to be, which is on TV, doing lots of stuff and blah, blah, blah. So I had to really look into myself and thinking that you got to put down this music that, you know, that's binded you to it. And it's very difficult to pull yourself away. One thing I did, Adam, I didn't put the music down completely because what I did was merge it with my other yeah. passion, with the food. And, yeah. and then that was the massive success of it. And that is a really, really hard thing to do, I think. That is quite a unique thing to do, to be able to have that conversation with yourself and re-strategize and to, to try a different route. Um, which is awesome. You, you mentioned about Teresa teaching you to free your mind. Was there anything that stuck with you that she taught you? Because I, I, I really do think that this can inspire a lot of people um, because where you're coming from, coming from being in prison, um, having a, a mindset that was holding you back and having beliefs that were keeping you stuck, was there anything specifically that you just remember that yeah, she might have helped you with? Loads, loads. I don't. I've never forgotten anything that that woman taught me. Mm. You know, that's like, these are my life lessons that helped me mm. to to be the person who I am. And one of the key things I, I think, which really, when I think about that change now, it was part of that, and it was about listening. She was very pinpointed in that. Says I had to stop being the person that talks a lot, but listen more and taking the information. Because her point was that sometimes throughout your whole day, you, you pick up some gems, pass you by and you let it go because you don't listen to it and you don't take it in. 
And her point was that that was wrong with me. I didn't really listen. I wanted to, I wanted to be cool all the time and be friends with people. And I, I was never a leader. I was always a follower. So as a follower, you listen, you don't speak and, and, and some, and people make, you make things happen, you, you know, you follow. And, and she was saying that I was good enough because now she saw me with the band and how much I was in, in prison and had a different vibe when I was there. With, with, you know, doing my stuff. So she taught me to listen. You know, she she says, listen to yourself and listen to others. And it made me become a calmer person to the person that went in was always, you know, rushing to do things and always it says, yeah. yeah, it was Teresa that brought that calmness to me. And she she the first thing that she did was through the complete works of Shakespeare at me. You know, she completely <laughs> about that big like that. The complete works. She and her point was that when I get out, I'm gonna have to surround myself with like-minded people. And and any of these like-minded people in this kind of millionaire role are doing things that are very educated people. You've got to be able to talk to them. And she said most of them has gone through that, you know, that kind of teachings of being able to use the English language in, in certain way in literature. And she says, read, read that. So I, I became versed in Shakespeare. I read the whole complete work would quote Shakespeare from now till tomorrow because of her influences. And, and in some ways that helped me um, to, 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 to change my views, you know, about how I express myself in, in certain ways. And so, yeah, she was, she was an amazing woman. She was from, she was from New Zealand. Um, I never saw her again when I left, when I left, but a few years ago when we were planning the movie, which I'm hoping you're going to talk to them. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, we, we searched for Teresa. We, I found her, you know, she went back to live in New Zealand and I spoke to her, I rang her up and I tell her that um, she's going to be amazing in the movie. And, and, and it was such a beautiful thing for us to, to contact again after so many years. It really is, isn't it? It's amazing that somebody's had that sort of impact on your on your life. And uh, yeah, I think the, the, the movie is going to be incredible. And we'll certainly talk about that in a moment as well. And, and then fast forwarding a bit, your, your Dragon's Den opportunity, which became the catalyst to really launching your sources and getting your sources known. You know, I remember it well, because I was a big, big fan of Dragon's Den, always have been a big fan of Dragon's Den. Um, how did how did that come about? What was that like? What how did it change things for you? I suppose there's so much there, isn't there? Right? Yeah, absolutely. No, I, I was in the Shires, Adam. You know, that's it about the yeah. Shires. Yeah. I decided to go into a place to find the market, and it was while I was doing these, you know, funky, you know, out of town type of events. I was at an event and I was, I remember singing the reggae reggae soft song. I, we'd sold everything off and massive crowd in front of us. And at the end of, of, of that event, there was one lady that I saw when we started, she was in the crowd and she stayed behind until the very end. And at the end, she came over to me and she says, oh, Levi, you know, fantastic, you know, love the sauce, love all your merging music and, and food together and everything. And she took out a business card and she says, would you like to be in Dragon's Den? And handed me the card. <laughs> But Adam, I'd never seen Dragons then. I had never even heard about the show. It's, I didn't really watch TV in those days at all. So I, I never I never knew of them. So she's trying to explain to me that it's a reality TV show and it's a bit like I'm a celebrity getting out here and all the kind of stuff. And I was thinking that there's no way I'm going to go on TV and be eating kangaroo testicles and stuff. Mm -hmm. <laughs> 
So I, I completely was with you. thoughts on them, yeah? And they'd be all right. Yeah, I didn't think of that. I didn't think of that. Um, so I was telling the lady that I'm not interested in it. Um, you know, we, we're doing great, you know, in here we're selling the products. And she said, oh, Levi, please take the card. And if somebody do tell you about Dragon's Den, then do give us a ring. So I went home with the card. I did take the card. I went home and it's my kids. That's Because normally when I come home from the Shires, my kids, they sort out these business cards that I get and put them into, into a little thing that we've got with card machine. Mm -hmm. So they saw the BBC Dragon's Den card with you know her as producer um, on there. And I, my kids were like going crazy, you know, like a dragon. And I was like, what the hell is this Dragon's Den? You know, what is it, guys? And, and you know, he just told me that my kids were saying, Dad, whatever you do, don't go on Dragon's Den. There ain't no Rasta man is going to go and deal with <laughs> Whatever, Dad. And she said, whatever, Dad, don't take that bloody guitar. You know, that was my kids. Because nobody had ever sang before. Nobody had ever done. It's all about maths and stuff. And they know that I'm rubbish at that kind of stuff. You know, and they were saying that, you know, we are fine as we are, Dad. We love you. We don't need you to go and embarrass yourself on, on the bloody show. But, you know, Adam, I, I, I could hear Teresa in my head at that point. You know, you are the best of you. You can do anything. I could hear that, you know, when while everybody else, every one of my friends that I went to, and I was so excited, I told everybody that Dragon's Den had approached me. Everyone said, don't take the guitar. Everyone said, go and pretend that you know things, but don't go and make a fool of yourself and do something different. But I, I could hear Teresa saying that you are the best of you. You are. It's easier when you are you. You know, she used to say that. You know, it's easier when you are yourself. I love that. Absolutely. It's more difficult when you pretend that you're something that you're not. Be honest. And if there's honesty on the other side, they will spot that. Yeah. So I just went on. I rang up the BBC and I said, thank you very much. I'll be on that show. Can I bring a guitar and sing? Now, nobody had ever sang on Dragon's Den before. So they wanted, I think I must have been the only one that had to do a screen test for Dragon's Den because they wanted to hear the song first to make sure that there was no profanities or anything like that in there. So I had my date at the BBC. I went there and, and they heard the song and they were absolutely blown away. I don't think they were thinking that this is going to become the greatest performance ever on Dragon's Den. I think they were thinking that this is going to be great TV, you know, he's not yeah, going to win, absolutely. but everybody's going to love him. He's going to love him. Yeah. And, uh, and that was enough for me because I was thinking to myself, like, I don't necessarily have to win. You know, as long as people out there have watched me on TV singing my grandmother's song, you know, mm -hmm. I'm hoping that I could sell a few more sources after you yeah, yeah. enslaved me and I've gone back home and people will say, yeah, Levi, great. So I, I didn't think I was very good. I thought I was perhaps one of the worst person that supports at Dragon's Den. Got my numbers wrong. I was sweating profusely. I was like a <laughs> dragon to the headlight and everything like that. They saw the character, right? Absolutely. Dragons were slaying me left, right, and center. Uh, three dragons went out saying that, no, I'm not interested in Levi. We love you, but there's no business in the sauce. That's what Theo Pafitis said. Duncan Bannetine says that there's nothing here for him to invest in. Deborah Needin said that she's out. You know, she never invested in anything anyway, but she she said that Levi, sorry, but we're out. And it was two dragons left. And, and I was looking down the barrel, you know, I was thinking that if I don't get this, then, you know, it's, it's going to have to go home empty-handed. But then along came Peter Jones, you know, six foot seven tall, his stripy socks, you know, this angel that saw me struggling. He probably saw the sweat on my head and said, I'm going to save this kid here. <laughs> <laughs> and um, yeah, Peter Peter and Richard Farley invested and, and it was absolutely amazing. I, I think 
the BBC just never ever seen anything like it when I came up singing, you know, the song. I remember the look of the camera guys in the room in front of the dragons and seeing them, you know, because it's real. They, the actual dragons don't know what you're doing before you come up. So mm. once you're up, it's they're seeing you for the first time. So I remember when I got to the verse of the, you know, the, the chorus of the song and I looked at Richard Farley on the left, I could see him actually tapping his hands on, on his desk with a, with a kind of weird look on his face. And it was at that point, Adam, that I knew that the music was doing its business. And I and I kind of got it that this moment is going to be my moment. And of course, Peter invested 25,000. Richard invested 25,000. I got my 50,000. And the next was just dream that happened. It was weeks before. Uh, it was actually three weeks that I had a call from Sainsbury's um, telling me that Levi, your Reggie, Reggie sauce. Right? They couldn't even pronounce Reggie. <laughs> the guys in Sainsbury's is that your Reggie, Reggie sauce is outselling Ein's bloody tomato ketchup. I tell you, Adam, I nearly fell off my. That's the biggest selling sauce in the whole goddamn yeah. world. And and here I am with my grandmother's sauce made in my kitchen in Brixton with my children is outselling Ein's tomato ketchup. It was just an absolute amazing thing. And, and of course, Peter and I become, you know, fantastic friends, you know, really, really close. And the business, it just seemed to become an iconic business overnight. Which is incredible. What's it been like to work with Peter and Richard over the years? And because it's been quite some time now, right? What's it yeah. been like? What have you learned? Has there been things that you've learned specifically that you, because our listeners being business owners, you know, love to perhaps get a couple of, has there been a couple of nuggets along the time that you thought, wow, you know, that made me see things differently? Yeah, I think mentoring is the key thing for anybody who's young out there and is starting out in business. You need somebody that knows more than you. You know, yeah. and I think that's an important point to remember because a lot of people, you know, you go into business and you think that you want to do it yourself. You can't. You know, I, I really do think mentoring is a is a way forward. And for me, Peter, Peter became my mentor and also a friend as well, too. And and there is that thing that I mentioned that Teresa had said to me when you when you get out, she was trying to say, surround yourself with like-minded people. And and so I suppose that the question to some of your listeners is who are these like-minded people? Well, I found one of them just before I went into Dragon's Den because it was a lawyer, you know, and I think legally you've got to have somebody who can deal with the legal stuff around you when it comes to business. I know it can be one of the most expensive things, you know, when you're setting up your business and to say to throw things like lawyers and stuff in there. But in the end, it will be worth its its value in gold to have somebody like a lawyer involved. Because I remember when I first was going on to Dragon's Den, I had a music lawyer. And I said to him, his name is Henry, and I called him up. I said, Henry, look, I'm going to Dragon's Den, and I want you to be my lawyer because I think I'm going to win. And he says, Levi, um, I can't be a lawyer because I'm a music lawyer, but I do know a corporate lawyer that I went to school with that I'm going to introduce you to. And his name was Taja Pictenhauer, and I went to see Taja. I told him the same thing, that I felt like I'm going to do something fantastic on Dragon's Den. Um, can you, you know, help me? And he told me the figures that he would be. And I said, well, I can't afford to pay you that, but I'll give you some of the business for you to stay with me. And I think that was a fantastic, you know, bit of business for me to have this massive lawyer on board, you know, to help me to set things up and to make things happen. And then a brilliant accountant came on board as well too, and which allowed me to play my best part. And again, yeah. another cool message for your listeners as well too. You got to do what you're good at. 
you know, and that's really important that you don't get, you know, confused um, in that kind of way and, um, and think that you can do everything. So compartmentalizations, put people in place that be able to make your business become perfect instead of trying to do it on your own. Yeah. Sorry, Adam. That's not no problem. No problem. Yeah. So put people in place, compartmentalize and get the right yeah. thing. That's essentially. Yeah. yeah, which is, you know, it's an incredible, incredible story. What have been in building that business here, in building that business and building reggae, reggae source and it lasting and, and doing so well? Have there been ups and downs? What have the challenges been? Have there been things oh, that have personally? One of the reasons why I said how important you know, the legal system is, because you never know what's going to happen because, you know, three years after the den when the sauce is out selling irons and I was the most famous black man in the country that didn't kick a ball or run fast. You know, <laughs> business and enterprise. And I, I think, that, you know, young people were very inspirational about that. It was something different. And yet I looked different and people like that. You know, I wasn't the kind of archetypal type of businessman, you know, and I think that was cool for a lot of young people to see that. But after three years when everything was going so swimmingly, I got sued. You know, um, I got sued by a friend of mine, you know, saying that the sauce was his and all kind of stuff like that. It was the most terrible part of my whole life, because at that point, all my life, my washing was out on the line. You know, every girlfriend that I ever had was being paid by the papers to tell their story. All my friends was, you know, saying, you know, that I was smoking. Every spliff that I'd ever smoked, somebody had come up and said to me, you know, all these little things that was really embarrassing. And, and it looked like something that was really inspirational to a lot of people was just about to become a cropper because it was all over the papers and, and it was like that. And it was, but I think that surrounding yourself with like-minded people was absolutely the right thing because my lawyer, you know, he gave me that advice. You know, in, in, within that moment, if you don't have these kind of people in and you don't have this kind of advisors like Peter, who, who was there and stuck with me, you know, and, and decided that, yeah, we're not going to pay these guys. You know, some people were saying that I could have paid these guys, you know, which I could have, and they were after money. But, you know, Adam, I knew that that would have stuck with me forever if I'd paid these guys off. Yeah. I, I yeah. didn't And agree. also the fact that it's, it's so entwined to you as a, it's quite very personal, isn't it? Because it's your, your whole story, your whole background and, yeah. you know, your grandma. So, you don't, you know, even if you could have paid them to get rid of them, you, you got to fight them you sometimes. Yeah, and, absolutely. And, and I could to be truthful, I could have paid them because, as I said, the brand was making a lot of money by then. Yeah. But it's, it's that, that is that thing that would stick. If you pay off somebody, then you have something to hide. Yeah. You know, and, and I didn't have anything to hide, so I decided to fight the case. It cost me a lot of money to fight. It cost me over a million quid to, to fight the case. But I really wanted to do it, and I was so glad that Peter stuck with me and, you know, and saw that if I was, you know, it was a conviction of mine to say that I wanted to clear my name. And it was a good thing that because of the team that I had around me, the judge gave the, the verdict in, you know, in, in, in on my side and I won the case and, and moved on. But, you know, to answer your point, then, yes, that was perhaps the most dangerous part of everything that I'd gone through. Um, when you're up and sailing and, and you, you think that there's nothing going to touch you, but something has. But it's what you've put in place is the people that you've had around you, you know, instead of the waste people and that sort of people mm. that allows you to overcome these eventualities that are going to happen. Anyone that starts a business. There is going to be a moment 
when something a spanner is thrown in the works you know whether it is you've run out of cash or you yeah. you've lost and you paid your repayments and then you're in trouble and that kind of stuff is how do you get off that what have you put in place for for those contingencies you know and for me it was about that like-mindedness you know good accountant good lawyer good mentor around you so to be able to, to help you in those moments yeah incredible and and brilliant that you fought it and you won you know and deserved to you've obviously built this huge brand that's taken you on to lots of other shows so now really it's your character isn't it that character that you built and that brand that you've built and being able to go and put that character out to the market has been absolutely integral and you've said yes to a lot of things and and i know um to our big brother and celebrity mastermind those things right yeah. you, you went and yeah, on yeah, those. Yeah. What was that like? It's fantastic. You know, again, you know, when you doubt yourself, as I did, you know, growing up, as I said, you really struggle as a young kid growing up. It's indoctrinated you in some ways that you will never make it. But when you when you overcome that and beautiful things start happening, you relish it because I overcome those shyness from Teresa's teaching. And and coming out and having success from meeting Mandela, you know, after said it's like a trajectory going up and up and up yeah. and up. You know, you feel super, you know, but not super for you to lose your focus, but grateful that, you know, that you've got these people around you and, and you've got the support of the public. You know, I do sometimes three schools a day, you know, young people, they, there's so much into what well, I can't believe three schools a day. I actually have to be refusing school for 18 years. And that's all I do. Schools, universities, prisons. I don't do anything else because these young people want to see me. They want to hear the story, you know, and, and, and that's what I love to do. So I go around and I tell the same story that if I can do it, then surely some of these kids who are struggling in, in, in areas like mines in Brixton's, you know, they will have a chance to be able to focus themselves, providing they meet the same mentors and the same mentorship that was afforded to me. And, and the story is so incredible that you 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 now it's now being made into a film, right? So tell yeah. us about that. It's uh, and it oh is, I, I've loved the story. I've loved talking to you. I think it's uh, very it's incredibly inspirational because it's where you started from, and 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 what you've embraced and actually recognizing these different things that were holding you back and deciding to overcome them. Yes, you've had the right help, but you've also been open minded enough to accept the help. You know, and, and that now is being made into a story, so a film. So tell us all about yeah. that. Awesome yeah, thing. no, again, it was one of these, you know, I like to call it jammy moments, you know, because I'm a jammy bastard. You know? <laughs> <laughs> one of these saucy <laughs> moments, yeah? Yeah, I was approached by, uh, you know, one of the biggest film companies in the UK, you know, made some of the top films over the past 10 years. They are the leader. You're talking about film that Fisherman's Friend, Finding Your Feet, Centrinian's movies. That's so iconic here. And these are the producers that came and said that they want to do um, my life story. And it was just like a wow, you know, moment. Um, and for me, it gives me an opportunity to tell that story again. Um, and to inspire new generations. Now I'm doing visitations every year, you know, quite a lot of visitations for kids who are basing their next career step on my story. And it always inspires me when I get a visitation for some young kid, you know, something, somebody to do, to do what they're going to lead their life forward. 
And I know now it's, it's you know, doing this movie, I'm really hopeful that it will it, it will bring that inspiration all over it to a new generation, you yeah. know, that new yeah. Yeah. yeah, you know, absolutely. So that's what I'm excited about. You know, and I was sent the, the actors list last week of of you know the 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 the, the the actors who are going to play me and other people within the story. So it's getting really excited now. And as you can see, I'm smiling, especially because... Yeah, some good people, yeah? I'm yeah. sure you can't tell us. Yeah, some good people, yeah? Yeah, some absolutely, you know, great names in films and TV, you know, it's, it's been talked. And I'm always thinking, is that really me? Is that me, the kid from Clarendon, Brixton, that couldn't talk? You know, I'd refused to talk for a long time when I left my grandma and come to this new land and, you know, and struggle, really. Um, is, is this really me? And I said, yeah, it is. But it is the changes that you have to go through to become the person who you are now. Absolutely. And and right now you're you're, you're doing a play, is that correct? Yeah, yeah. I'm in Scotland. I'm in Edinburgh, and I'm, in, I'm at Fringe, Edinburgh Fringe Festival. I, I wrote, but the film... The story for the play is, is called Sound Clash, but it's actually part of my life as a musician. Whereas when we were, you know, doing the idea for the film, all my 50 odd years in music and food couldn't fit within the story of the film. And I was so sad that my music and my sound system days couldn't fit, which was the first part of my life. You know, when I left school, I joined a sound system and music came into my life. And that couldn't fit within the film because they wanted that to be about the dragons then and you know the part that a lot of people know about within the movie. Yeah. But so the 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 the, the, the sound clash thing was an outtake of it, and I decided to go away and write the story myself of a dystopian sound system, Romeo and Juliet, West Side story type of a of a musical. And I wrote that. And next thing I knew, I had Adrian Grant, you know, who produced thriller in the West End, which was there for I think a thousand years. It was that long stage. And uh, I had Theatre Royal to Rachel come on board and wanted to direct it. I had Jade Hackett, one of the most amazing choreographer, come on board. They wanted to do the choreographer for it. So a, a massive, you know, really important set of people that comes on board to do Sound Clash. And now we're in Edinburgh and we're launched tomorrow is our, is our opening night. You know, opening from night tomorrow. Wow. Wow. Absolutely. And, and I can't believe it. I've written a musical and we're, we're launching at Bloody Fringe, you know, one of the, the most amazing platforms for any type of new plays or comic, comic um, you know, events. So it's just fantastic, man. So you will hear about Sound Clash, Death in the Arena. Sound, sound Clash, and people can get uh, tickets. I don't know that they'll be able to get yeah, them by the time absolutely. it comes down. But where can yeah, they go to get that? Tickets. Yeah, www.soundclashshow.com. Soundclashshow.com. And that's going to be in other locations, presumably, as well. Yeah, no, it would be in one because Fringe. You're in you're in one theatre here yeah. in, in the Fringe. It's very famous in that kind of way, and we have twenty six shows every oh. day. Only oh. two days out of the or the whole month of August we have off, but oh. that, that's how it is. And we're in one of the biggest theatres in Pleasance One, so it's 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 fantastic to be bringing dancehall music and bashment and reggae and ska onto the stage of the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. Oh, congratulations. That sounds amazing. And it's great that you get to tell that story too. Uh, look, I, I've absolutely loved uh, having you on as a, a guest, Levi. I think you've been absolutely incredible. I think the story is super inspiring, um, super inspiring. So many people out there can get inspired and really look forward to the, the film. Uh, go to soundclash.com, correct? In yeah, soundclash.com, yeah, soundclashshow.com. 
at soundclashshow.com to go and check Levi off. I want to say a big thank you for coming on the show. Um, been absolutely amazing talking to you. Love the story. Congratulations on everything that's happened in your life. And if you've been listening, make sure to subscribe. Uh, go and subscribe. Leave a review for us if you've been enjoying this share this podcast with somebody that needs some inspiration perhaps you know somebody you're listening to this right now that's had some difficult times and can really learn uh, from what uh, Levi shared some of those mindset assets go and do somebody a gift today by sharing this podcast with them so it can inspire them Uh, thanks again Levi you've been incredible Uh, really enjoyed talking to you today it's been amazing Hi everybody, Adam here, and I hope you loved today's episode. Hope you thought it was fabulous. And if you did, I'd like to ask you a small favor. Could you jump over and go and give the podcast a review? Of course, I'll be super grateful if that is a five-star review. We're putting our all into this podcast for you, delivering you the content, giving you the secrets. And if you've enjoyed it, please go and give us a review and talk about what your favorite episode is perhaps. Every single month, I select someone from that review list to come to one of my exclusive academy days and have lunch with me on the day, meeting hundreds of my clients. So if you want that to be you, then you're going to be in with a shout if you go and give us a review on iTunes. Please, of course, do remember to subscribe so you can get all the up-to-date episodes. Peace and love, and I'll see you very, very soon. Thank you.